Amen. Amen. So last week we started Paul's discourse on spiritual gifts, his instruction on spiritual gifts. He is answering a question sent to him, supposedly in a letter written before this. You respond to something that's written before your response, right? So he's responding to something that was written to him, supposedly by Chloe's people in the church, the Paulites in the church. And they asked this question about spiritual gifts. And Paul began addressing spiritual gifts by saying the Holy Spirit is in charge here, not you. You have no power to beckon the Holy Spirit. You have no power to persuade the Holy Spirit to work for you. You cannot go and get the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is in charge here. This is done by the will of the Holy Spirit who gives a variety of gifts and a variety of ministries and a variety of effects to and through each person, but it is the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God who works all things together, who gives according to His will. So even though there are varieties of gifts, they are meant for the exaltation of one God and the edification of one body. And as we move through the text today, uh, Paul says some things that I really want our community to hear outside of this church. So this will probably be one of those messages that we promote, if uh, Ken agrees with me on that. Uh, after seeing the Spirit's will and that the Spirit is in charge, Paul, in this text, is going to get right to addressing those who are being burned by the local church. Addressing those who don't feel like they are part of the body, who don't feel like they fit in, who feel like outcasts. Then he is going to address those who are part of the church cults, those who are part of the church culture, those who define the church culture and define the parameters set for who and what will be accepted within the church. He addresses those people. And then he calls all Christians to Christian living. So I think this is a message that all Christians need to hear those within the walls of the church and those outside the walls of the church. I think it is a message that non-Christians need to hear so that they know what being the church is about and they know what we are inviting them into when we invite them to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the universal church, to believe in Christ, and to be a part of a local church, to connect with a local body of believers. Let's read this text together and we'll see what God has for us this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. We'll begin in verse 14, which we covered last week, but it provides context here to Paul's argument. For the body is 
not one member, but many. We saw Paul is addressing the local church as a whole, the local church as one body, but he is talking about individual members within that body. So we learned that being part of a local church, in fact, being part of the body of Christ overall, has both a communal aspect and an individual aspect to it. The Holy Spirit gives each individual a gift or some gifts to be used for the edification of the body. Last week, we saw that being part of the church, being a part of the body of Christ, being in Christ is no individualistic thing, but there is an individual component to it. That individual component involves the spiritual gifts each one receives for the purpose of edifying the whole body, building up the body of Christ as a whole. And that is not something that can be done apart from the body of Christ. And so it must be true that one cannot be a Christian, cannot be part of the body of Christ without being a member of the body of Christ, the church universal as represented in the local church. For when the Spirit gives us gifts, right, we would have no opportunity to use those gifts to edify the body of Christ if we are not with the body of Christ. Christ. Therefore, rendering the Holy Spirit's work in our lives ineffective. But we know that the Holy Spirit's work is not ineffective. If the Holy Spirit is giving gifts for the purpose that the Holy Spirit is deemed important, necessary, essential, the Holy Spirit will bring us into a body of believers to exercise those gifts to build up the body of Christ to the exaltation of Jesus and the glory of the Father, for the body is not one member, but many. Church is essential. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired, just as he willed, just as he pleased. Now, I am aware that there are many people on the earth who are missing limbs, right? And just imagine for a moment you were missing your, your legs. Your hands work just fine but you're missing your legs. Your hands work just as well as they would work if your legs were there. You can move your arms, you can reach out, you can grab hold of things. But let me ask, how will you get to the things that you need to take hold of, that you need to grasp? Either your hands must act like feet, which happens in the case of wheelchairs, right? Or you must have prosthetic limbs installed. Um, our parts work just as well with or without the other parts of our body, unless our, like, our heart's missing or our brain is missing, okay? But they're not going to be as effective. And that, I think, is the illustration Paul is getting at here. Um, differences, diversity within the local church and within the universal church is not something to be mocked, and people are not to be condemned because they are different or have different spiritual gifts. And remember, Paul is talking particularly about spiritual gifts here, but this can apply broader, right? People shouldn't be condemned or looked down upon because of their age, because their age differs from most people within the church. People shouldn't be looked down upon or condemned or complained about because of uh, their gender, which is given to them by God at birth, right? Or because of their sex, which is given to them by God at birth. We shouldn't mock these things. God created us the way he wanted us to be created, uh, the way we were born, that's the way God wanted us to be. And the way that the Spirit, according to the Spirit's will, endows each individual with spiritual gifts, He gives those according to His will so those people can serve, do ministry with the various ministries in the church so that they can edify the body of Jesus Christ. Now, I have been condemned and complained about and ostracized by many different groups, both within the church and without the church. And a lot of it comes down, y'all, to just being different. 
Because my personality is a little introverted, doesn't mean I'm antisocial, right? People condemn and complain. Or because my spiritual gifts are exposition and prophecy, according to the New Testament meaning of prophecy, declaring the word of the Lord, which has already been written. Or because I'm a little smart-headed. If people complain about those things, and I've been ostracized by quite a few, few groups. And so when Paul writes this, you know, looking over the sermon throughout the week this week, and even this morning, looking over it again, just looking at this, the temptation has entered my heart and my mind to just be done with the local church. Altogether, right? Because local churches have hurt me and burned me. And I, th- I think there are, are quite a few people around like that who have had that kind of experience. I think Paul's words here in verses 15 through 19, I think they're encouragement for this type of person. Within the walls of the church, this letter would have been read before the congregation. Paul's admonishing the congregation toward unity through maturity. So Paul says, I, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to understand this, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, and, and, and it's almost like if he were in the room, he wasn't when this was being read, but if he were in the room, he would be looking at each of those individuals that seemed ostracized by the local church. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, what does that sound like? Because my, I don't feel like I'm part of the body because I'm not like others. I don't feel like I'm part of the body of Christ or part of the local church because my spiritual gifting is different from others. That's not really accepted in a Southern Baptist church. Um, I, I don't feel like I fit in here. And so I, I just, I must not be part of the body. And again, even though Paul's talking about spiritual gifts here, this, this can apply in so many more areas, right? This is why so many people today, I think, tend toward lone wolf Christianity, individualistic religion, which is not Christianity at all, but what choice do you have if every church burns you, every church ostracizes you? The groups are like, oh, you're not like us. You're not as old as we are, or you're not as young as we are, or you don't like the kind of music we like, or you preach a, a little bit differently than we would like, or you know what, that stuff really belongs in the university and not in a church, like that kind of stuff. And it almost feels like they're singling you out and pushing you away. And most of the time, nothing is said and people just leave. But sometimes it erupts and like church splits and division and and crazy stuff. And it's not surprising that Paul had to address this with the church at Corinth because of the division there. The church apparently expected all people to either be a hand or an ear, or an eye. Instead of celebrating the diversity that is given by the will of God. I mean, look at verse 18. God has placed the members. And remember, church member is not someone whose name is on a church roll. We've made it that. And church roles maybe can be beneficial, lists can be beneficial, but that's not what a church member is. A church member is someone who is plugged into the body, gifted by the Holy Spirit, edifying the body, serving in a place of ministry. That's a church member. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body according to their own desires and according to the expectations of human beings who run the church. That's that's not what Scripture says. And that's not what Paul wrote. He said God placed the members, each one of them, individually, in the body, just as he desired. Just as he desired. Now, if this is God's desire, that people be different, that people have different spiritual gifts, that people have different passions, that people have different skills to be used for the edification of the body, that people have different interests, that people think differently, that people have different personalities, if this is God's desire... 
when we complain about others or tell people they need to change, at least in these areas, right? What are we saying about the God who placed people in the church according to his desire? We're, we're taking the place of God. God did this as he desired. I find great encouragement in this. Y'all, I have tried to change my personality and that doesn't work out too well. <laughs> Just end up being awkward and not doing anything with your life, right? So I stopped trying to change my personality and I embraced the way God made me. I tried to self-identify and it didn't work out for me, okay? In that area, my personality, I tried to change my spiritual gifting. I've tried to do that. Who's tried to do that? I, somebody needs to be doing that in the church. I'm going to do it. I'm not good at it, but it needs to be done. God hasn't given me that gift, but somebody has to do it. And so under compulsion, you're serving the body. And that doesn't work out too well either, does it? Because now you're, maybe you're doing this thing that needs to be done, but then you have such, a, such an attitude that it keeps you from worshiping God. And so in doing what you think needs to be done, you're actually sinning against God by not enjoying what he has given you and pursuing the passions that he has placed within your heart and doing ministry according to your spiritual gifting. And the encouragement I find here is this. I don't, I don't have to try to change my spiritual gifting. I don't have to try to persuade God to change my personality He'll change it if he wants, according to his desire. He'll change my spiritual gifting if he wants, according to his desire. He'll change my, he'll change my knowledge if he wants, according to his desire. He will change what I'm good at, according to his own desire, not mine. And so I find great encouragement in that when people expect unhealthy things, those expectations fall hard on the sovereign will of God. And the sovereign will of God is the thing in control, not the unhealthy or unwarranted expectations of those within the church. And Paul reasons with the congregation, if they were all one member, where would the body be? If everyone was just like you, if everyone met your expectations, there would be no diversity in the church concerning specifically spiritual gifts. There would be no diversity within the local church. And if there's no diversity within the local church, you have a bunch of hands that can't move to grasp the things that they need to grasp hold of. If everyone is a deacon, you have no elders. And there I'm referring to the particular offices, right? Elders, of course, are servants too. <laughs> if everyone cooked the food, who would preach? If everyone preached, who would, who would listen and be edified? If everyone led the music, who would partake in the worship? If everyone served communion, who would partake? If everyone did one thing, nothing else would get done. And remember the gifts that Paul has actually listed by name. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, affecting of miracles, distinguishing of spirits, the interpretation of tongues. And these are the things Paul has in mind. And he's, he's, ad he's addressing the whole congregation, the local church, not just the apostles. And these aren't apostolic sign gifts. These are gifts that are given for the edification of the church. So they're not, they're not signs, but they are wondrous. And they build people up and they edify people, not tearing them down. Remember what Paul has said previously to this in, in the chapters preceding chapter 12 knowledge it, it puffs up but love is the thing that edifies and spiritual gifts when practiced in love they they edify and diversity is good and paul is going to explain why diversity is good in verses 20 through 
24a. Can I do that? Can I, can I divide a verse right in the middle? <laughs> yes, I can. Okay. Verse 20. But now there are many members, but one body. He repeats himself. This is like the fifth time he's repeated this. Like there are many members, one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So he's, he's shifted his attention now from those who are outcast, those who are being ostracized in the congregation. You see how he shifted his attention? He shifted his attention to the cult within the church. And by cult, I mean those who desire uniform culture, a uniform set of spiritual gifts, a uniform set of personalities, those who desire uniformity within the context of the church walls. But this applies to any sort of works-based religion, I think, because you look at Islam and you look at Mormonism and you look at Jehovah's Witnessism and you look at Catholicism and you look at the whole array of worldly, human-centered, works-based religion. And what does it teach? Act this way. Think this way. Be this way. Do certain things at certain times. Overemphasize your liturgy. I love church litur liturgy, but to overemphasize it is idolatry, right? To say every church must look exactly the same. To say that every individual and every local church must be the same and have the same face and, and be the same color. That's what Paul's getting at here. And in defending diversity, he looks at the cult and he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Cannot justly ostracize the hand because it is not an eye. It's not difficult to understand the illustration Paul is using, right? He called the church a body. He's following up with the illustration. And so those within the church, the cult in the church, or any cult outside the walls of the church, right? Cannot say, because you are not like us, we have no need of you. And people don't come out and say this explicitly most of the time. Instead, what we see is this gradual pushing away of individuals from the body of Christ, from the local church. For no other reason than you're not like us. You don't fit within our parameters. You don't fit our mold. You don't act like a Christian. What kind of preacher are you? So, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you because I'm smarter than you. I don't need you. No. That cannot happen in a sincere, legitimate local congregation because it does not happen in the body of Christ. In fact, it cannot because the Holy Spirit is there encouraging this type of diversity, this type of inclusivity. Now, the gospel is an exclusive message, and I want to be clear about this, right? The gospel is an exclusive message. Unless your faith is in Jesus Christ, unless you have confessed him as your Lord, you are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. Unless he has died particularly for you and atoned particularly for your sin, you are not part of the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is exclusive in that regard, but it is inclusive in this regard that all types of people will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. We read the book of Revelation and we see the great revelation vision, right? The vision of the, the heavenly throne room and the masses worshiping before the throne of God, every tribe, tongue, language, nation. That applies not only to diversity of ethnicity and language within the church, which helps us to understand what speaking in tongues is, okay? But it also applies to a diversity of spiritual gifts within the church, the interpretation and the prophecy and the serving and the healing and the effecting of miracles. The church is to be inclusive regarding these things. Not to set parameters on this 
is what we think is restricted because it's weird. Or this is what we think is to be restricted because we don't like it and we're too uptight. It doesn't quite fit our plan, our liturgy. Or that doesn't quite fit our theology, so... Right? No, the body of Christ is inclusive in such a way that all types of people with all types of spiritual gifts are included in the body of Christ, not according to our will, not according to the will of each individual who wants to manifest the Spirit a certain way, but according to the will of the Father, according to the will of God, as He desires, as He pleases. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. It cannot happen. On the contrary, Paul writes, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Wait, does your Bible say necessary? Does your Bible say necessary? What does yours say? Indispensable, Indispensable even better. <laughs> okay. No, it doesn't say they're optional here. So you have all these people being burned by local churches because they're different, because their gifting is different, or their personality is different, or whatever, the, the passions that God has, has given them, that it's different. And Paul says that's actually the opposite of the way things should be. shouldn't be ostracized because of differences, because of diversity. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So you're interpreting difference as weakness, and that's wrong. Because somebody doesn't have the spiritual gift of knowledge, you interpret that as weakness, and that's wrong. Because somebody doesn't have the spiritual gift of tongues, you're interpreting that as weakness, and that is wrong. Because somebody doesn't have the spiritual gift of prophecy, you're interpreting that as weakness and that is, and that is wrong. Because somebody doesn't have your type of personality or the personality you think they should have, you're, instead of interpreting that as just having differences, you're interpreting that as weakness and that is wrong. So, so those members of the body, those in the cult, remember Paul is talking to those in the cult here, are those members of the body which seem to you, cults, to be weaker, that are outside your circle, that don't quite fit your expectations or the mold that you have created, those guys are necessary. You need them. How many people and how many local churches then have local churches burned and ostracized and push away and Scripture calls those people necessary? Verse 23, and, the, and those members of the body, which we, from a human perspective, right, which we deem less honorable on these, be very careful that you don't treat them like they are dishonorable or less honorable. On these, instead, we bestow more abundant honor. Honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. So when someone is different from us, different from the cult, different from the inner circle, Paul here says, all the more reason to praise them for the spiritual gifts they have and the way that they are serving God. Instead of ostracizing them, this is in the Bible. <laughs> instead of ostracizing them, instead of condemning them, instead of pushing them away, instead of kicking them out of church, instead of making them feel like they're not part of the body of Christ because they look different or smell different or have a different personality or particularly have a different spiritual gifting than we have, because they are different than us, instead of ostracizing them, instead praise them. Look, you have no need to be praised because you're already accepted. Praise those who seem less honorable to you instead of ostracizing them because they're necessary. 
give them more honor. Make sure that they are presentable and that they don't feel weird when somebody notices them. Second part of verse 24 here. You see this call to Christian living. And Paul, he does something amazing here. Instead of just leaving it at that, instead of just saying, hey, this is how it is, treat them as honorable, don't ostracize them because their spiritual gifting is different. Instead of just leaving it there, he could have. It makes sense, right? The body is not one member, but many. That seems like a decent enough explanation. But Paul takes it all the way back to who God is. It's like he, want, he wants God to be the focus here. The second part of verse 24, but God, God has so composed the body. Who composed the body? People did, right? The people came together. People built a church building. People found a guy who was a really charismatic preacher. People found some amazing music leader who knew what he was doing, right? Very skilled, knowledgeable, could draw people in with the sound of the music. People found good cooks to to pay them full time, and they're paying the cooks, they're paying the music guy, they're paying the pastor, and people are building the church by attracting people into the building, right? People are building the body of Christ. That's what's going on here, right? People are composing this. That's not what Paul writes. God has so composed the body. Any local church built by human hands is not a local church. God composes the body of Christ. Any person who feels the need to to work so hard to persuade others to be converted to a Christian religion but doesn't trust in the sovereignty of God in the process, he's taking it upon himself to compose the body of Christ. Evangelists need to hear that. We need to remember that. It's God who composes the body of Christ. That in no way lessens our involvement in the process. God is the one who composes the body, the universal church and the local church. God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Lacked what? Some kind of spiritual gifting. Wait. Instead of saying here, what Paul has already stated, the Holy Spirit gives to each one at least one spiritual gift. But then Paul here recognizes that there are members of the church who are lacking in spiritual gifts. So each member has at least one spiritual gift. Yeah? But they're lacking in spiritual gifts as well. And what does God do? God composes the body in such a way that he gives more abundant honor to the member which lacks a spiritual gift. Like spiritual gifts aren't actually necessary Like God designed the church body in such a way that members will be seen for the spiritual gifts they lack. And instead of condemning them or ostracizing them, God himself, within the structure of the church body, honors them. Why does God do that? Why has he structured the church in such a way that our our lack of spiritual gifting will be more evident than our spiritual gifting. (laughs) Why has he done that? Well, to honor those who lack certain spiritual gifts, not to condemn them, which is completely opposite of the way we, we treat people, right? We're like, oh, the more spiritual gifts you have, the more holy you are, the better you are for the kingdom of heaven, the better, better you are for this church, the more we are going to exalt you and promote you. It's that old joke, right? Don't show a Southern Baptist church what talents you have because they'll use them. Yeah? But God wants us to be seen for what we lack rather than what we have. 
and he designed the church to reveal that. Well, that makes perfect sense if God is the one to receive all glory and we are to, to humbly serve him in quietness, right? It makes perfect sense if that's the way God is, and, and I think he is. And in verse 25, we see the purpose God has for, for this and the purpose, the reason for which Paul brought this up. Verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body. Huh. Division. When we exalt people because of their spiritual gifts, it causes division. Yeah, I seem to have noticed that in the church. When we condemn people because they are lacking in spiritual gifts or because we think they are less honorable or less presentable, that causes division. When we see others as weaker because they are different, that's what causes division. But God has set this example, giving more abundant honor to those because of what they lack. He set this example so that there may be no division in the body, so that we might learn from God's own example. Eve sinned first. She took the fruit and she ate, yet she is exalted as the mother of the living. That's what God does. Abraham, a heathen nation. He grew up in a heathen nation, worshiping false gods with all of their temple cult rituals. Abraham, yet God brought him from the land of Ur and caused his descendants to take the land of Canaan as a picture of what his kingdom would be to the whole earth, right? Noah was a drunk. Moses was a murderer. And God exalted them. David was guilty of every sin imaginable. <laughs> okay? And probably more that we can't think of. Yet God exalted him, and the Messiah came through David. Jesus decided to be incarnate through David. Bethlehem was the smallest town. Mary was a teenage girl, not part of a prominent family. Jesus was born in a trough. So this seems kind of backward to us. God, God is exalting sinners according to His will and emptying Christ of all glory for the sake of those sinners. That's the kind of God we serve, and that's the example he sets even in the local church, which is exactly the opposite of the way we think to do things. But he does this to set the example for us so that there may be no division in the body. You want, to, you want unity in the body? Recognize what God has done. Recognize the way God Works, And then look at the second part of verse 25. But that the members may have the same care for one another. What same care? The same care for one another that God has for his body, his church. Exalting one another. Et, meaning edify here. Exalting one another. Not because of what we have or what we see in one another. But because of what we all lack. Verse 26, and if one member suffers, oh, people pull this out of context all the time. Let me take a break from this sermon and preach an entirely different sermon based on only verse 26. Can I do it? I'm going to do it. All right, so we're taking a break from that sermon. Now I'm going to preach only verse 26, the way that I have heard it presented most often. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And so your brother and sister is being persecuted overseas. You are suffering with them, church. Stop laughing. Stop smiling. Stop enjoying your life. You are to be suffering with all of the Christians who are suffering everywhere in the world. And, 
and you cannot be happy and you cannot be joyful until there is, n there is no Christian suffering anywhere in the world, period, right? Well, if we take that advice, we have to sin against God, who through Paul earlier in 1 Corinthians instructed us to enjoy what he has given with thankfulness of heart and joy, okay? It, it is good for Christians to experience joy, at this moment, I'm going to return to my other sermon and preach this in context the way it should be preached. Verse 26, and if one member suffers, what is the context here? What is Paul talking about? Spiritual gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit giving spiritual gifts according to the Spirit's will. and that we will be lacking in some spiritual gifts. And the Greek word here used that we translate as suffers in the English, it is a word that means to be affected by, to be imposed upon, to be given something. It usually has a negative connotation, so to have something withheld. We equate that to suffering, right? To have something withheld from us is suffering. So this isn't a, a mistranslation. We just need to make some clarification here. This is to have something withheld from us, something that is good withheld from each member. So, so this, is, this refers to the lacking of spiritual gifts. That's what verse 26 is getting at. And if one member suffers, if one member is lacking in a spiritual gift because it is being withheld from him or her, all the members are lacking, suffer, are lacking with it, are having something withheld with that member. So look, it's like Paul is saying, it's like his argument flows logically and it makes sense that he inserts this sentence right here in his paragraph, right? Can you la you're lacking in so many spiritual gifts. <laughs> and Paul here is saying, oh, you notice he's lacking, huh? You too. You, don't forget that you're lacking spiritual gifts too. If you're constantly pointing out how others are lacking in spiritual gifts, and forget that you're also lacking spiritual gifts, that you, you guys are suffering together, even if there are different spiritual gifts being withheld, Right? If you don't realize that you're lacking, you're going to develop some kind of superiority complex. And that's not humility, that's pride. But on the contrary, if one member suffers, you recognize that you're suffering in the same way because you also lack some spiritual gifts. And that brother, you're, you're looking at what they lack and you're kind of judging them because of what they lack spiritually. Uh, they have a gift that you probably don't have. So stop complaining, judging, condemning one another because of spiritual gifts that are lacked. Instead, edify one another through the spiritual gifts that you have and they don't, right? What an amazing gift. Instead of, instead of condemning and complaining, serve one another. Edify one another. Bear one another's burdens. That, seems, that sounds a little familiar. Suffer together? You lack a spiritual gift that you would really just like. Be content where you are. Let others serve you. The Holy Spirit gives that according to His desire. Honor the Spirit. Honor the Spirit's decision. Honor God. If any one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And we can be joyful in that, right? We can be happy. We can partake in the good gifts that God gives with thankfulness, even in the midst of our lacking spiritual gifts, having them actually withheld from us according to the will of God for God's good purpose. And what is God's purpose? And with, why would God withhold a spiritual gift from us? Why would God withhold speaking in tongues? Why would God withhold the gift of prophecy from me if I really want it? Why would God withhold the gift of knowledge from me if, if, if I really want it? Why would God withhold wisdom from me if I really want it? Why would God do that? Well, if he is the one to receive all glory, it makes sense. If he doesn't want us to make ourselves into little gods, it makes perfect sense. 
all the gifts are good, but God withholds them for his good purpose according to his good will. But if one member is honored, and the Greek word here for honored means to be endowed, endowed with something, usually glory of some kind. And that makes perfect sense if being honored is juxtaposed with suffers, to to have something withheld and to have something endowed. This makes sense. These are opposites. This is what Paul is doing here. So that confirms our uh, interpretation of verse 26. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So instead of focusing on what that person lacks, look at the gifts God has given them and rejoice in that because that means the whole body is edified. This is the will of God. So we rejoice in that person's gifting. When we rejoice in that person's gifting and say, Audrey, the voice God has given you is amazing. Right? Kathy, God giving you the desire to cook every Sunday is pretty amazing because I don't have that desire, right? That's amazing. Ken, the, the passion that you have for, for the technicalities of a worship service and the logistics of putting stuff together and your heart for evangelism and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we celebrate that instead of saying, bro, you're lacking, right? Babe, the, the love you have for everyone. You care about people more than I could dream of caring about people. You're amazing. Instead of condemning and complaining because of what people lack, celebrate because of the diversity and what different people bring to the table. Many people don't know what they bring to the table. They're afraid to experiment because they know the reputation of the church in America. And it is wrong. Celebrate the diversity of spiritual gifts in the local church and in the body of Christ. Rejoice when one member is endowed with a spiritual gift. Rejoice. And we want it to be sincere. We don't want people faking spiritual gifts. Why do people fake spiritual gifts anyway? To be accepted, to be part of the cult, right? And we want them to be sincere for 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 the genuine edification of the body. So we don't condemn people because of the spiritual gifts they don't have, which are withheld by the Spirit, by the way, which means tongues are withheld by the Spirit when people don't have the gift of tongues, Right? Prophecy, when people don't have the gift of prophecy, it's being withheld by the Holy Spirit for, for His purpose according to His desire. Don't judge people because of that. When you judge and condemn people because of that, you are mocking the Holy Spirit's work. Well, that's a dangerous place to be. Instead, celebrate what the Holy Spirit gives people for the proper edification of the body of Christ and the exaltation of Christ and the glory of the Father. Rejoice, rejoice, Rejoice. You want unity in the local church and in society? Celebrate diversity in a Christian way. (laughs) In a way that is sincere and not in a way that is itself oppressive. That's what we are called to. That is Christian living. And we gain a little more insight. See, we still haven't even started defining the spiritual gifts except for prophecy, which Paul got at earlier in 1 Corinthians, right? But Paul is building up to it. And building up to it, he says, spiritual gifts are not something to be neglected by the body of believers. Now, sometimes we neglect them, and, and many Reformed theologians come to the, this chapter in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they say, apostolic sign gifts, they've all ceased, period. That's called hard cessationism. I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. He's writing to the local church 
And these aren't signed gifts. These are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to edify the body of Christ. Um, why would the Spirit ever stop edifying the body of Christ? He wouldn't. So, so spiritual gifts are very real. They are not to be ignored. They are not to be faked. They are not to be ignored. And Paul wants us to know this before we even start talking about what it means to speak in a tongue. What it means to love or to prophesy or to have faith. Or to distinguish between the spirits. This is Paul's lead-in. And next week, y'all, get into it. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. This is what I want to be as a local church. I don't want, and many local churches start off well, but then they just become that cult, right? Uniformity, my way or the highway, be like us, fit into our mold, or get out. Any, anybody can become that way. I don't want that to be true of us, and this is good to know starting out. So, praise the Lord for His good work, praise the Lord for His word. Praise the Lord for endowing each one with spiritual gifts. And that is the invitation. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Celebrate the diverse spiritual gifts that he gives each one that we have here, now, in this place. And for the diversity of the types of people who will come into this body of believers and the diversity of spiritual gifts that will be practiced here. Amen. Amen.